0: Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal of Constitution with another edition of your favorite podcast, Southern Fried Soccer. At least it's my favorite podcast. In my opinion, it's the only one that matters. So there. Atlanta United is going to play Nashville on Saturday at Geodis Park. And you have to say that in all caps, so I guess you have to scream it. Geodis Park. Atlanta United's record is 5-1-3. Nashville is 3-3-3. The game is at 1.30 p.m. It is going to be on Apple TV, so you're going to hear from Taylor Twelman, friend of mine and always a guy who doesn't mind sharing his opinion, as well as Fox, which is going to have Tony Miola, also a really good guy. I wish I could listen to both of them, but I'm going to be watching and tweeting from Doug Robertson AJC, or you can follow the coverage on the Facebooks at Atlanta United News Now. And I hope you will. And I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast because it is awesome. I'm just kidding. It is whatever you say it is. But if this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. When we come back, you're going to hear from Clement Jopp, or as Brad Guzan calls him, Clem. Uh, because Brad took over the team's Twitter on Wednesday, which I don't think they'll ever allow him to do again based upon what happened. I think there was some sort of spiritual karma thing happening there in the loss to Memphis in the U.S. Open Cup. And then I'm going to answer your many, many questions about the MLS team, and a lot of them are quite long and require a lot of brain power. so I'm going to have to take a nap about halfway through this podcast and come back, so I'm refreshed and ready. All right. All right, so today we talked to Jop. And I was curious to see if he changed his opinion on what the coach thinks about how he's done in his game and a half so far with Atlanta
1: United. I think he's happy with it, but I really haven't talked to him about it yet. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, you will have to ask him again probably, but I think he was pleased with the performance, my performance on Wednesday, not overall.
0: My opinion, Jop had one of the best performances by a goalkeeper in Atlanta United history against Memphis on Wednesday. He faced 30 shots, which was the most ever allowed by Atlanta United across any competition. He finished with, I think it was eight saves, but the saves, most of them were extremely high quality. Double saves, saves with his feet, uh, fingertip save, uh, a fantastic performance, and he was good with the ball at his feet too. Now, some of you were on the Twitter saying this just shows how the coaching staff and Bocanegra doesn't know what they're doing, that he's so played well. Why was he not the second guy behind Guzan or starting ahead of Guzan? You never know what's going to happen in the next game, okay? Westberg might have also played well against Memphis on Wednesday. You don't know. But Jopp is going to get the start on Saturday against Nashville. Here's job talking about how he's done playing with the ball at his
1: feet. I believe I'm confident when I have the ball in my feet, you know. Mm-hmm. So, But just some days are. Um tougher than others because if the other team put a good pressure it's harder to find some good passes so but overall i I believe that i can play out of the back Yeah.
0: so when jacques came on and played 45 minutes against chicago i think he completed every one of his passes and his percentage against memphis i believe was above 90 percent so yeah he can play with the ball at his feet now it's curious to see his perspective on the team's energy level at practice today after that Embarrassing loss to Memphis on Wednesday in the third round of the U.S. Open Cup.
1: I mean, obviously, everybody is looking for redemption because we are not happy to have, to, to have lost on uh, on Wednesday. So we really want to go into the game and and trying to do a better performance and get some points.
0: Now, Nashville this season has scored eight goals in nine games. I believe it is. They're three, three, and three. Um, so they're having some troubles on offense, but they have a lot of talent going forward. I was curious to hear from Jop on just what he thought might be Nashville's issues
1: this season. I mean, everybody knows that Nashville is, has always been a dangerous team. I think they, are, they have always been making the playoffs so far. So they, I'm not worried about them scoring goals, and I don't think they are either. They are, they're going to win games, and this is probably a team that you will see in the postseason. So maybe, I don't know how many goals they have scored this season, but they have talent. They have like Fafa Pico, they have Till they have Mokhtar, reigning MVP. So... I'm really not worried about them scoring goals so far. I know they can do that. So for us, we will have to be very careful because it's still a very dangerous team.
0: I think it was good analysis by Jopp there. Now, uh, the two players we didn't see at training today on Friday here in Marietta were Yorgos Yakamakis, who leads the team with five goals, and Quentin Westberg. Uh, Yakamakis suffered a hamstring injury, well, it was described as minor in the second half against Chicago. It's the second consecutive week. He's had that issue. Westberg suffered a patella injury. Uh, it actually happened before the Chicago game and then kind of became worse after some contact during the first half of the Chicago game. He also didn't train today. But here's Pineda talking about the seriousness of Yakomakis' injury.
3: Yeah, ball is not as serious as, you know, as it can be. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he's out for this one. Um, We will see next week if if it is possible that he can train, modify or something and have some availability for the game against Miami or we definitively rule him out. We will see in the evolution of him.
0: Now, the good thing about, well, Yurgos is out for Nashville, but Miami is arguably one of the worst teams in MLS this season. So Atlanta United may not need him to defeat Miami, but a lot of that will be determined by how well they play on Saturday against Nashville. So Eric Lopez also has a high ankle sprain and is not available I don't believe is going to be available for selection on Sunday. So that leaves either Miguel Berry who started on Wednesday, or Machop Chole. Berry played a lot of minutes against Memphis, but I think he's probably gonna start on Saturday against Nashville just to deal with the strength of Nashville's two center backs. Now Berry admitted in a Zoom or I should admit it is a word that implies guilt, Barry said on Tuesday you know that he he realizes he struggled to get into some shooting positions. he only had one shot to get some emphasis, so I wanted to follow up Paneda on what is Barry doing well and you know why he deserves to get another start.
3: Well, he works very hard, I think at some point the reward is going to come for him. It will' come with. Better moments, different moments. I think the first two games uh, in the season, he did pretty well in that position, holding up the ball, making runs in behind, pressing at high intensity. So he does all that. And, uh, yeah, at times, you know, nines come with moments where they cannot get chances or scoring goals, but then suddenly they score. So I expect the same from him.
0: Working hard, to me, is not really a criteria for starting. I think every professional athlete works hard. I guess some may work harder than others. Um, but here's Pineda talking about if the team has moved on from Wednesday's result.
3: I feel like we we passed Wednesday. It was a tough one. It was a, a tough one for us to digest, to process. But I felt like today the the, the players' response was pretty good, energetic, um, ready for tomorrow. And I hope tomorrow we can have a, a much better game.
0: Now, we don't get to see the training session that is the day before the game or two days before the game so we're going to have to take Panetta's word on that the energy was good. We get to see the first 20 minutes or so but it's mostly kind of loose basic stuff so it's hard to tell energy levels from that. I wanted to follow up with Panetta on some of the issues in Wednesday's loss and how they could affect Saturday.
3: We couldn't really progress the ball uh, as much as we want. That was for me the main deficit we had. It was on the ball, like not really finding the the ideas that we normally try to find, the pockets of space, the, the aggression, creating better chances. Same as probably the first five games in the season. Like I felt that that we were really there. We haven't found that, so as a team, we need to correct that. Why we're not finding that? Are we not moving exactly as we want? Are we just n- not super confident in certain positions? Is the opponent uh, trying to put more uh, emphasis on certain types of pressure against us? So we have to process all that film, messages, individual film, collective. So we're trying to do a good job on that, and uh, we, I expect we correct uh, for the next game.
0: Now... The great Jedediah Sam Jones kind of followed up with a couple of questions of Pineda that I'm going to paraphrase the answers to here about the midfield combinations and progressing the ball and kind of what's happening in that regard. And and Pineda said it's a combination of factors that opponents are making adjustments and then it's up to Atlanta United to make adjustments. From my memory, there's been a couple of games this season in which the opponent did something coming out of the gate that Lenny United didn't expect and you could see Lenny United playing timidly that to me may be a sign of just a lack of on-field leadership someone like in the past say a Jeff Lernowitz or somebody that could have recognized what's going on gotten the guys marshaled changed some made some in-game adjustments and gone forward from there I'm be curious to see what Nashville does last week they rolled out a diamond midfield instead of their typical 4-2-3-1 Atlanta United trained to get it but if Nashville against it but if Nashville throws in another wrinkle really curious to see if Atlanta United is going to be able to play aggressively or if it's going to be passive now the last thing and I keep having a harp on this and I don't like having a harp on this because I don't like being repetitive but it is an issue is the work of the wingers for Atlanta United they're they're the goals and assists just really aren't there it's it's two goals four assists in 17 appearances uh, between Derek Etienne and Luis Arahujo, it's not enough. I asked Pineda about the productivity of the wingers on Tuesday. He said it comes down to creating chances. Obviously, that didn't happen on Wednesday. So I wanted to follow up and get some clarification on that today. And I point blank asked, is it just a matter of Arahujo deciding, I'm gonna take over this game?
3: Yes, it's a little bit what I was saying. I think it's about that, how we can break that second line of pressure. And from there, I think, we can progress the ball into the wingers in a better way. So, for me, it's, it's, it's that relationship between Thiago and Barry Caleb. We have to do better on that, putting more the ball in Thiago in those areas, the ball in, in the midfielders to, to activate uh, Luis in the final third. And if we start to do that more often, they're going to produce.
0: So, there we go. You know, Arahujo could have a monster game in, against Nashville. Etienne could have a monster game against Nashville. They both have the talent. They both have the skill. But the productivity has got to start to happen or Pineda, in my opinion, is going to have to make some sort of change, one or two, or do something to get those guys sparked. All right, now you're going to hear from Taylor Twelman. We talk about Almada. We talk about Yakamakis, We talk about Arujo, We talk about Etienne. We talk about Pineda. We talk about Miles Robinson. And we talk about how this could be a really, really impactful summer for the franchise. So I hope you'll enjoy. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson EJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. Atlanta United was beaten by Memphis 2-1 in the U.S. Open Cup on Wednesday, which is not a good run-up to Saturday's game against Nashville. What do you make of Atlanta United so far? Doug, it's an interesting one, right? Like,
2: initially when I saw them, and obviously Almada's a huge part of this, but even when you go to the opening game, he had to score two wonder free kicks. At the end of the game to get three points. Here's the here's the way I look at Atlanta. And in Atlanta United fans, I actually think for the first time, and they're gonna hate this, will agree with me on this. I think their points and their place on the table may be a little misleading because I don't know if they've been the same team. They're first off, they're not the same team when Almada doesn't play. Yako Maikis is a bona fide goal scorer. We know that. They know that. But I, I listen to opposing coaches dissect and, and really look at what Atlanta United is. And universally, they say they are 1,000% a different team when Amada doesn't play. They're predictable. They're a little anemic. They don't have a ton of nuance within their tactical setup that then gets you to ask questions. So then if Almada doesn't play... If you can stop the verticality and limit the service into Yakimakis, then you give yourself a chance. Now, obviously, Miles Robinson in his return, Doug, has been real good for this team. But now, now there's questions. A goalkeeper, does Diop become a real guy that you can count on? I think what we saw last weekend, the answer to that question may be yes. I just don't know. And, and Doug, honestly, we're going to get into this. I think this summer is a massive one for Garth Lagerwey and this team. And I think it's going to determine whether or not this team really has a successful run at the end of the year. But if you ask me, they're one of the top five teams in a league right now, I would say no.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I, I think most people are kind of leaning your way. Now last night, you was fantastic and goal for Atlanta United. It, it might've been one of the best goalkeeping performances I've ever seen from Atlanta United. He, Agreed. he was, he was amazing. Um, but, you know, without Almada. The team had one good game in the three that I think it's played without him. Last night, Sadich is a fantastic central midfielder, but he's not an attacking midfielder. Luis Araujo, I can't figure out how to get him going, and I've spent a lot of brain power on this. Do you have any ideas?
2: No, I don't, and I've been, listen, I've been very critical of him. Um, he, he looks the part. Uh, You see him initially and you're like, whoa, this guy's got a different gear, completely different type of player. The kind of player that I think Atlanta United fans love seeing where there's just a pace that's different than anyone else in front of him. There's a flair to his game, but I'll answer anyone's question about him and say, what do you get in the final third? What do you get decision-making? What do you get with the final play? And the truth is, Listen, there was concerns that he wasn't worth $12 million anyways. And if he was worth $12 million, then why is he coming back to this league at this stage of his career when he was on the precipice of one of the top three or four leagues in the world as a Brazilian? I think Atlanta United's front office knows it, and he's a frustrating player to watch. There's no two ways about it, and I think – the front office of uh Atlanta United have to be frustrated as well with his performances.
0: Yeah, I mean, they were so so excited, Carlos Bocanegra and, and Pineda, at the beginning of the season about the potential pairing of Derek Etienne on the left and Arahujo on the right and their ability to either come inside or stay outside. But their the stats just aren't there right now. And you know, Yakamakis is making up for a lot of things. But he may not play on Saturday after suffering another hamstring strain. I just don't know where the goals are going to come from against Nashville.
2: No, uh, and that's the frustrating part. You know, Derek Entienne coming off a career year last year, that was still an interesting signing because I felt like it was a like-for-like in a weird way, right? Like, if you lose one player in Atlanta United, I find that their depth are eerily similar to the players in front of them and I would argue, when they were at their best, it was there was a little bit more nuance to their roster. There was a little bit of a different ideas there, where you could put together a collection of players and give you different formations, different styles of play. And they don't have that. Derek Ntien's injury in the preseason has limited his progress this year, and so I, I don't know where goals come from. And that's what I mean by anemic or or predictable mm-hmm. is when you talk to opposing coaches. They're not threatened by Atlanta United the way they were in years past if Almada doesn't play, and especially if Almada and Yakomakis doesn't play. And so, Doug, that's got to be a real concern for this team now, but I think it's more so this summer because if you do mm. get $20 million plus for Almada, you move on and you do make that sale, well, now what do you do? Do you have a replacement immediately? And what happens with Miles Robinson? Miles Robinson can sign a six-month pre-deal with another team and then that tells you he's leaving where is he mentally where's that do you want to move on earlier than that I think this is a real interesting summer for Garth Lagerwey I do
0: and there's also Caleb Wiley sitting out there you know Tom Bobert had a report that Atlanta United turned down an offer for him last year what if someone comes with an offer and Caleb says hey I like it I'd like to explore that then you're potentially losing two impactful starters I tweeted earlier that I don't think Atlanta United's offense has been the same since Wiley moved from left back or from left wing to left back uh, the past few games. But Miles Robinson, you know, what's going to be his focus if he signed the contract, as you said, it's uh it can be a very, very unsettling summer for a team that I think still has a lot of potential.
2: Oh, I agree with you. I don't disagree with you. One iota, I also think Garth does. Uh, his best work historically in Seattle and even with Real Salt Lake in the summer, he knows exactly uh, the fact that you have a bigger pool of players, you have more options, you can find different players. And so this summer becomes intriguing because Garth's strength throughout his entire career as a general manager and now as president, what whatever he does, he does his best work in the summer, but he's never lost a player for 20 plus million I think if the if the offer is great for Caleb Wiley, I don't care what you do, what you think. you got to look at it from a business perspective, because that's the whole purpose of putting money into your academy and your homegrowns and then moving them on business wise. And, And Caleb's been a revelation. Doug, you're right. He's been their best attacking player down the left and you move him the left back for whatever the reasons are. But you've lost that on the left side, left wing. And a lot of it is just he's naturally left footed. So he creates the width and then Almada can find the pockets of space. That That's why I think it hasn't been as good as what you and I and probably the Atlanta United fans would say after you and I d- were in Charlotte for that second game of the year. Where I looked at and said, oh boy, this could be a rebirth and a rekindling of Atlanta United taking MLS by storm.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't think Yakimakis is going to play against Nashville on Saturday. So then to me, the question for Pineda, which I hope to ask tomorrow, will be, do you start Miguel Barry at striker again? He had just one shot against Memphis. It was not on goal. He's not getting into shooting positions. Or do you roll the dice and put Machop Chol up top? He played striker a lot in the preseason. If you were Pineda, just to try to give Nashville something to think about, what, what would you do?
2: Well, I'm gonna answer your question with another one. Does Walker Zimmerman play? Because he's on yeah. the list of maybe not playing, right? And so if Walker Zimmerman doesn't play, then I think the the mobility of Miguel Barry is interesting. I think Miguel Barry looks like he's struggling for confidence. Uh it, that's very easy to see. Chole score, you know, Chole's different. I don't know that answer because I think they're two of the same in a weird way. I do like Barry's mobility. I do like his ability to stretch the back line, to move around, get defenders trying to follow him. And if Zimmerman's not playing, now you're asking real questions of two center backs that aren't used to playing together. So that becomes interesting. But it's a huge hole because Yakovakis is a, a legitimate goal scorer. And if he stays healthy... He's going to score a boatload of goals in this league. And so now you got to ask the question if you're Gonzalo Pineda, you you got to ask the question, what do I want as a nine? What's the one thing I want? Do I want mobility? Do I want someone to play off of? What works the best with the two wingers that I have? I think that's going to be extremely interesting to watch.
0: So let's, uh, one last question. Let's assume that for whatever reason, Atlanta United's roster stays intact this summer. The team has two senior roster slots open and it has at least one international slot that it can fill. If you're a away and you want to strengthen this team for a run at MLS Cup and possibly Leagues Cup, what positions do you try to add to?
2: Uh, it's something in the midfield, center midfield. There's something there that is, I don't know if it's missing the lack of the word, but the connection in there. Um, if you can, honestly, it could be a little, it's a little difficult, but do you find another option with Almada? You know, like you're not going to find the same quality of player. That's not what I'm saying, but the same profile of player that gives you a different element in there. Is there an MLS veteran that may be available that you can then go find Doug? I honestly, I kind of hope that happens. I don't, my business. Sense doesn't because I hope Almada moves on 25 million plus for the league for Atlanta United. They deserve all of that recognition. He deserves that next step. I want that to happen. But from the 2023 MLS regular season, I'm intrigued if he stays and then Garth finds two players to add to this, but I'm adding right in the midfield. I, I don't know why that's the first thought that comes to my head. And then if you need to find a backup nine because Barry and Chol aren't finding a way to give yourself some little bit of cover, sure, I would go that way. But I think they need a little bit more diversity of thought, that type of profile player in the midfield. Because as you said, Sadich, Rosetu, uh, Sosa, they, they all kind of seem the same. There's not enough change there, even though you and I could do an entire podcast on how all those players are different but there's such fine margins. I don't think the viewer from 10,000 feet can see it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, to, to me, I, I think you're right on the money. I would try to strengthen central midfield. The one thing it lacks to me is just speed. Yeah. Um, it, it, recovery time is is not there and, and they get overrun a little bit and, and get lost on one twos and things like that. But I guess everybody's looking for speed. We'll, we'll see if Atlanta can find it. Well, Taylor, how can people find you on social media?
2: Yeah, at Taylor Twalman on Twitter. I'm not paying for the blue check mark. So uh, good luck trying to find it. There's a couple there. You just got to play your guessing games and add Taylor Twalman on Instagram.
0: All right, Taylor. Well, it's good talking with you. I can't wait to see you in Nashville. And I hope everything goes well today.
2: All right. Be good, man. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut, are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.
1: I'm Ernie Suggs. And I'm Ned Ravone. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody.
0: It means everything to me.
1: Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about.
0: So subscribe today at
2: www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL.
0: This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get three months of unlimited digital access. That means no limits. Unlimited. To the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, our politics, our breaking news, our investigations, our food and dining. By the way, I went to City Winery last night and saw Zepparella, a Led Zeppelin cover band. Fantastic. Fantastic concert. Uh, You can get all of our stories on AJC.com, access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. I don't think we got any voicemails. Did we get any voicemails, Daniel? We did not. We did not get any voicemails. So Daniel, who is in Portugal crocheting a life-size Cristiano Ronaldo doll as we tape this podcast, is very sad. So I think Ronaldo doll is going to have some like crocheted tears coming down its cheek because y'all did not dial into seven, seven, zero, eight, one, zero, five, two, nine, seven. I could also give out Sam Jones phone number because he's sitting right here beside me and that would just be too funny, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, we're going to start with Tim friend of the podcast who says, do you think the lack of consistency that permeates this squad is fueling the wandering aisle? Uh, eye, the psychoptic eye. Of Miles, Almada, or anybody worth money? Heaven forbid what Yakamakis is thinking. No, I don't think so. I mean, these guys, are they know what they're playing for. It's, you know, I don't think that's a factor at all. Tim continues with more fuel for the fire. I don't see individual players' skills progressing. I see the same mistakes repeatedly. I don't see a clear leader on the field. And I don't feel this team would run through the proverbial wall for Pineda let alone maintain focus for a complete match. I don't know if I agree with that. It is worth pointing out that four of the past five goals scored against Atlanta United have come in the 90th minute or later, which does imply a lack of focus or, I don't want to say a lack of fitness. Fitness leads to fatigue, which can cause mistakes. I I, I think the players like Pineda. I do somewhat agree with you about individual player skills progressing, particularly with some of the younger guys like Asosa or and a Barra or a Huzetu. But, you know, the season is still somewhat young. There's still time. Tim continues, he says, How many more games with 17s feeling unsatisfied about the product on the field will the Pineda-fractured fan base tolerate? How many until the front office is interested? I think it's way too early to bring this stuff up. I I, I do need to tell you, or remind you, I should say, Atlanta is in third in the East with 18 points. They're only two points behind New England. Wednesday's loss was awful for a lot of reasons for the team, but in the league, the team is still playing well, so I wouldn't go too bananas yet. Rob E. at the branch, friend of the podcast, with a sans-serif font that I think is the document's fault here, says, youth, this is a long email, or a long mailbag question so bear with me if you're driving to nashville this will take up some time i can think of no other reason for atlanta united's collective fragile psyche i've never seen anything like it the youngsters are all in a dither which is a fantastic word if forced to play positions other than their preferred ones abara can only play the six we have no reliable eight i disagree with that i think Sadich is is a good eight um he's not a good 10 if almada isn't playing the 10 Arahujo and etienne are lost Yakamakis has been a rare find and chole an ample substitute wiley and gutman can interchange but put in any unpredictable player in front of parata and he's indecisive i don't know what that means and don't get me started with underperforming designated players all right i will not get you started honestly i'm not convinced united's youth transfer fee oriented model is sustainable it might bring money into the club, but without a core of veterans to stabilize the experience, there won't be any more championships for Uncle Arthur's case, only empty Boca dollars. Now, about that, I don't mind bringing in young players. I do think overpaying for young players probably isn't a smart thing to do. And keep in mind, Ozzie Alonzo was supposed to be that veteran presence in midfield to help these guys. It's not his fault he suffered a torn ACL last year. He is working to come back. He trained for what we could see fully today with the team. You might maybe see him... Either with the twos getting some minutes or maybe Miami, maybe, maybe. Miles Robinson is a veteran now. Barata is a veteran. Gutman is a veteran. Brooks Lennon is a veteran. So there are veterans around them. He continues. We may see something of this motley crew yet. All right, Dr. Feelgood. Though the team is due some good luck. But Wiley, Almada, and Robinson are headed out the revolving door. Will there be anything left worth sticking around for? Will the fans still come to see a total rebuild every three years without any success to show for it? Keep up the good work, Doug. We appreciate all that you do. Now, I do have to remind you, but you I would think you know this. MLS, MLS is a salary cap league. Rebuilds are going to happen. It's just it's the nature of the game. You can't pay everybody what they want to be paid. You just can't. Now, might the pocketbooks get deeper? With this Arahujo money, or not not Arujo money, this Apple TV money, might the rules change? Might it be easier to reward players? We'll have to see. As of this season, it's not going to happen. I'll be surprised if there's something next season. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. On to Adam with another long mailbag question. I like him, so keep him up. Clearly, this Atlanta side has better pieces on hand compared to most of last year. Having a healthy Robinson and a healthier, more productive option at Stryker will do that. But the Memphis match and the Columbus match so not paint do not paint a flattering light on the overall development of the side, which is disconcerting. I've long felt the hallmark of a truly great team is the ability for all the players to, to perform in the system. When key players are absent, others can at least emulate the needed role well enough for everyone else to stay on track yet those two matches reveal Atlanta still has a propensity to play disjointed and with little hustle. Last night was as anemic a defensive display as a six one thrashing by Columbus, but mercifully Memphis isn't as good as Columbus. I get perspective. Atlanta was sixty seconds away from winning if not for an individual error, he's referring to Juan Hoperada's tackle, and playing with a mostly B side. I'm sure the awkwardness of the different venue added some surreality that's a funky word, to the occasion. And one game does not a season make, as it were. Still, a minimum of heart and poise shouldn't be too much to ask at this point in the season and in Panada's tenure. That such a display has happened twice within a month has me worried. Well, keep in mind the starters that were missing against Columbus, Almada and Robinson for starters. Those are two of the better players in all of Major League Soccer, not just at their positions. It's going to be impactful. Now, the lack of confidence, the lack of aggression, that I get. Uh, the players should be more confident in themselves, more believe in themselves more, and, and let that show. But we're going to see what happens. So true or false, he continues. Last night was a failure on Paneda because he failed to have the team motivated and fully prepared and couldn't make the halftime adjustments needed to keep their defensive shape or retain possession. I'm anxious to see how he responds. Cheers, and as always, thanks for your coverage. The bottom line starts with Pineda. So, yes, he takes responsibility. He owned it after the match, That he had to rotate the guys. These are the guys he selected. They didn't perform. That's on him. I don't know about his motivational skills. Uh, He could have given a Matt Foley-type awesome speech at halftime, and it just – the players didn't resonate. So part of that is on them. They shouldn't need motivation. They should be self-motivated. So we'll see what happens against Nashville. Dr. Fallas, Dr. Fallas, friend of the podcast, says – He's currently listening to Neil Diamond as he types. Every day is better day with a little Neil Diamond. All right. Good call. My question is the following. Is there a way to find out since 2017 which team has brought in more money, the Atlanta Falcons or Atlanta United? I'm not meaning to laugh, but this is an easy answer. Uh, The Atlanta Falcons. NFL TV money is like a bajillion times more than MLS TV money, even with this deal from Apple. So that, that's a, just a, that's a non-starter and no, there's no way to know. Brian says in Nashville question, if you wouldn't mind, of course, I love Nashville and I'm looking forward to going. And if you see me out and about, I might be in a meat coma after going to the steakhouse tonight. So if you see me rolling down the sidewalk, feel free to tap me on the head and say hello. Brian says, I'm going this weekend for the first time. And you mentioned parking being awful and needing to Uber. I've not done that before at a large event. Do you need to schedule it? Wait until the end of the game and order it, or go to the rideshare lot and then order it. The way that Nashville was set up, at least last year, you'll need to go. Well, to get there, you can just order it from your hotel. That's not or wherever you're staying, your Airbnb, your VRBO. Once you, the game is over, it's going to be an afternoon game. You can go to the rideshare lot and you can order an Uber, and it shouldn't take too long to get it. Now, the problem for Nashville on Saturday. The weather forecast, as I looked at it yesterday, uh, is supposed to rain. Now, the fields around Nashville, during that storm we experienced during last year's game, had a tendency to gather water. So just be careful. I wouldn't wear nice shoes if I were you to this game. I'm going to Uber, for example, from my hotel, and I'm driving to Nashville. And no, you can't ride with me. in my awesome Prius. FBL dad from England. So that's cool. Says, hi, sorry to bother you, but first off, as a fan of Atlanta United from the UK, I wanted to say thank you for all your reporting and information on them. It is much appreciated. I just wanted to ask if you feel Jop will continue to be our number one goalkeeper over Westburg until Guzan is back. He was phenomenal against Memphis. Yes, I think that he is. Well, let's see what happens on Saturday. But I think in a game and a half, he has performed well and probably has slotted into the starting spot for Atlanta United until Guzan gets back. And then it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Chance, friend of the podcast says, do you believe Atlanta is actually the underdog going into Saturday's game? I do because it's hard to win on the road in major league soccer. Although Nashville is six points lower in the standings. I feel United has been overly fortunate in several of its games and going to Tennessee and playing a decent, albeit underperforming Nashville is going to be tough to get a decent result. I agree. And Atlanta United has really never played very well. Well, as well as we've seen at other places in Nashville. Am I being too pessimistic or fairly realistic? I think you're being realistic. Paul says, my family is planning our trip to Montreal through Vermont and New Hampshire to Boston, then back to Atlanta for the July 8th, 12th, and 15th games. Well, that sounds like a fun trip. Will you be attending all of them? I am. Any inside info on interacting with the Atlanta United fans or the team? The supporters groups, I would go on to their, uh, I think they have message boards and find out who all is going and where they're going to be. It's going to be fairly obvious to find them before the game. They'll be congregating. Would you recommend staying at one of the lo- local hotels around Gillette that night or traveling back to Boston? Uh, that depends upon your comfort level driving. There is a, a Marriott right beside Gillette Stadium in Foxborough. I'm hoping to stay at it. It depends on if I have family members or someone else coming with me to Boston. Um, in which case I like to stay in Boston and just take an Uber. But uh, Boston is a fantastic trip, You're gonna, and Montreal is fantastic too. You're going to have a lot of fun, you and your family. Thanks for keeping the podcast kid-friendly. We listen each week. Well, of course, Paul. Trevin says, I know you have asked players and our manager multiple times how to fix mental mistakes at the end of the games. The answers are always very general and do not address the mental lapses. Last night was a perfect example. Why take a chance with that tackle by Parata that led to the penalty kick? Can you ask what specific training takes place to prepare the players in end-of-game situations? Pineda does a lot of work in this regard. They try to make things more at stake in the final minute of training sessions to kind of get the guys to to really stay focused through the end. So there is work. It's just, for some reason, it hasn't worked defensively. Offensively, it's worked. The team has scored a lot of goals, uh, at least three this season off the top of my head past the 90th minute, but it's just not working for the defense. So we'll see what happens. Mike says, I understand it was just the open cup, so it's not that important, but is it scary to you that this could be life without Amada? Atlanta will obviously look to replace him, but if they don't hit a grand slam there, then we are in some serious trouble. We look lost without him uh, too much this season. I think they're going to have a replacement lined up for Amada. Who knows about the quality You have to also keep in mind that you can't – it's very difficult to plug-and-play DPs, particularly when they're coming from other countries, other leagues. It just – it takes a while. It's very rare that you sign a player, a DP from another country, and they just start producing. It's very rare. Atlanta United got extremely lucky that all three of its DPs, its first season, came in and produced. And then that didn't really happen as well with subsequent DPs. It doesn't really happen that often throughout the league. Hani Mukhtar was named MLS MVP last year for Nashville. His first season, he probably wasn't as good as everyone expected he was going to be, but he, he got better. And that's, that's the whole key. It's, um, it's going to be interesting. I keep saying that, but it is. Mike continues. I know you were high on Arahujo's talents and I am as well, but he's just not worth the DP slot. Should we move him after the season and revamp the attack? You know, uh, you heard Twelman talk about it. You heard me talk about it earlier this podcast. He's a guy that has so much talent. But when he gets into that final third, something is just not right, and I don't know what it is. So all I can advise is stay patient. But if it doesn't happen, you still have to have somebody take him. That's that's the problem. It's, you can't just sell. You can't just give up. you got to have a taker. And Atlanta United can't keep pulling rabbits out of its hat, like it did with Barco loaned River Plate and get, a reported $9 million back in a transfer fee. And Barco is producing for River Plate now. We'll see if it continues, but it's good. You know, you don't wish ill of anybody. You want to see them produce. You want to see them happy. And so that's awesome. Nick says, I saw your tweet about the U.S. Men's National Team coaching search, and that's one of the most measured takes I've seen. For whatever the next podcast is, could you elaborate on that and give us some names you think should be under consideration? So my tweet basically was that the U.S. Men's National Team is the most talented in CONCACAF now. I think it's surpassed Mexico. But its goal is to be one of the better teams in the world. Right now, it doesn't have that depth. So to me, to hire a system coach, when you don't have the depth, it handcuffs you when you're going against the better teams because those teams have the players who are good enough, skilled enough that. They know the system the U.S. is trying to play, and they know how to beat it. So to me, I would rather have a coach that has the tactical acumen and communication skills to recognize this is what the opponent is doing. Let them kind of dictate it first and then make those adjustments soon, not at halftime, but soon within the game. Have the players drilled enough that they can recognize moments, recognize formation, recognize tactics, and make those adjustments. I think the U.S. has the skill to be able to counter what an opponent is doing and be more competitive than to be handcuffed by trying to play in a system in which the opponent has already figured it out, has made the adjustments, and the U.S. can't make those adjustments yet. That may not make sense, but it makes sense to me. Anyway, uh, a guy like uh, Yurgi Lowe would be fantastic. Ancelotti, if he would like a new challenge, that would be something that would be awesome, I think. Uh, So, anyway, it's going to be, God, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Fascinating to see what happens with this. And now I think we are to our, yes, our final question of the week. From Hernando, who says, Atlanta United wants to win as much silverware as they possibly can. There is a lot of hype, but I don't think all trophies carry the same weight. Some could be eliminated. I would rank the importance of the trophies in this order. MLS Cup, CONCACAF Champions League, Supporters Shield, Open Cup, and Campionis Cup. In what order would you rate them? I can't believe you left out the AMFAM Cup. Oh my goodness. He says, this is the inaugural year for the League's Cup. With the advent of that competition and the significant increase... And games that come with it, I would eliminate the Open Cup and the Campionas Cup. Well, You can't eliminate the Open Cup. It means too much to the teams that aren't competing in the League's Cup. The Campionas Cup is just one game, hardly anything to get excited about. It is a pure money grab. I, I don't disagree with that. I would eliminate the Campionis Cup. The Open Cup is a gummy bear competition. I don't know what that means, but it's an interesting metaphor. MLS teams play heavily rotated squads and don't bring intensity until the final rounds. The whole thing is disruptive to the schedule. It feels more like preseason games and risks injuries to players. If it is too much to eliminate the Open Cup, I would reformat it to make it shorter by opening the Open Cup only to second division teams. Let the Open Cup champion play the MLS Cup winner in a single elimination game. Your thoughts. It's interesting. I think that I don't think that's fair, though, to the lower division teams. They should get their chances to play other teams and other divisions and get that brand awareness out there and give it a chance to grow, give the soccer pyramid a chance to grow. I do agree with your ranking of the trophies. I've said before, I don't like playoffs. I really don't like expanded playoffs in American sports. I wish that the supporter shield carried more weight than the MLS cup, but it doesn't, you know, you could argue you could invert. You could say leagues cup might be, Better than MLS Cup because you're playing Mexico teams, which are better. Probably top to bottom than MLS Cup teams, but MLS Cup teams are catching up quickly. So if I were ranking them MLS Cup, Leagues Cup, Champions League, Supporters Shield, Open Cup, and get rid of Campeones Cup. And don't get me started on the Canadian Cup, which to me is champion of your basement video games. It's just, it's just a silly. I understand why it has to happen because canada has its own league but it should not be given the same weight as some of these other trophies when it comes to being available for or i'm sorry receiving automatic uh inclusion into champions league and things like that i understand legally what has to happen because u.s open cup gets that weight but it's just not the same competition anyway thank you hernando it's a long podcast i apologize hopefully it'll give you something to listen to on the way to nashville y'all take care hug your loved ones Communicate with your loved ones. This is Southern Fried Soccer.